inspired leadership are those magnanimous leaders, those folks that can stand up, articulate why it is that we've got to do what we've been asked or charged with doing, and then bring in that team together with one common purpose. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm your host and executive coach, Terry Lepofsky. Hey, before we run with things, I just want to take a second and welcome a new sponsor to our show, Market Circle, the makers of Daylight, the business management app for anybody that wants to grow their business on the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. I've been using Daylight now for years. It is definitely the tool that I use to manage my business. It's the tool of choice for me, and I've looked around. This is more than just CRM or customer relationship management, though, folks. It is CRM. It tracks all of my leads. I use it for project management. It's great for tracking customers. And even with one click, I can file away all of the emails with my clients in just one place. If you're like me and you're running a small business from 1 to 25 or even more, Daylight does help. It helps with overcoming challenges of scaling your business and streamlining your processes. And remember, if you've got other apps that you want to integrate, Daylight also has Zapier integration and APIs. So support those that support us and tune in to marketcircle.com and check out your free trial of Daylight today. On today's episode, you might be a little surprised as we explore a topic that's in the news media and we all might be missing something altogether. Today, we're going to be exploring the real threat and how many of us may have been misguided about what the biggest threats out there really are. And to help us make some sense out of all of the chaos that we're hearing in the daily news, it's my honor and privilege to welcome to Inspiring Leaders an extraordinary training, operations, and risk management executive, Mr. Steve Day. Steve, a huge welcome to you. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. Terry, it's an absolute pleasure to be with you, and I'm looking forward to the discussion this afternoon. Before we get too deep in it, this is a pretty vital topic, the real threat out there. But before we do that, help us understand what makes a guy like you tick. Who or what inspires Steve Day and why? Well, I think I've been very fortunate, Terry, throughout both my life and my professional career to have been surrounded by exceptional leaders or exceptional examples of leaders, as well as, unfortunately, some exceptionally bad examples of leaders and uh, self-serving individuals. So when you ask a question like that, I've got to go back in history just a little bit, and I would suggest one of the most inspiring leaders uh, would be Prime Minister Winston Churchill in the Second World War, what he did as both a public servant and a military leader in his earlier life, a political advocate and instigator, if you will, and then truly during the, the Second World War and at the darkest days of 1940 in particular, what he did to preserve Western democratic way of life against fascism, Nazism, and, and clearly a, a true game changer in terms of the way we would have been living today. Oh yeah, isn't that true? If it were not for him stepping up to the plate at the absolute most critical time, our entire lifestyle would very likely have been dramatically different. 
Absolutely. And when I look at what he was able to do as a true statesman, and when you look at what's going on in the world today, across the, the Western hemisphere in particular, some of the political leaders that we have are professional politicians and not necessarily true leaders who are trying to do the right thing for their nations or their citizens or their constituents. So I kind of look back at that as that is inspiring to me in any given day. I'm with you 100% on that. Today, our theme here is the real threat, and I emphasize the word real. I'm glad that it's you that we get to chat to about this because there's a growing sense that our society may be getting it wrong. You've got a very unique perspective on threats and security over the last 20 years. Steve, do you mind if I do a little bit of bragging about you to set the stage for our discussion today? No, go ahead, Terry. It is your show and your listeners. So Steve Day served as a combat engineer officer back in the 90s, where he was deployed as a leader with humanitarian and disaster response units. And this includes things like hurricane, flood, and earthquake response initiatives, both domestically and abroad. And then in the 2000s, he was selected as a leader of JTF-2, which is the globally respected Joint Task Force 2. That's Canada's elite National Counterterrorism Task Force. And over time, he worked his way up to become the commander of JTF-2. And by 2009, Steve's role expanded, and he became the commander of the fast-growing Special Operations Facility leading a team of over 150 multidisciplinary garrison team of military and public service and contracted experts. He also led the National Counterterrorism Initiatives for the 2010 Vancouver Winter Olympics and the 2010 G8 Summit in Muskoka, Ontario. And on the academic side, he's got a master's in defense studies and a master's in international strategic studies. In 2012, he attended the U.S. Army's Strategic Leader Development Program at the School of Advanced Military Studies, or SAMS, in Fort Leavenworth. And he was helping to educate future leaders of the U.S. Armed Forces, key allies, and the U.S. interagency at the graduate level to become more agile and adaptive leaders, capable of thinking critically while they're seeking solutions to complex, ambiguous problems right up to the national security level. So that's a bit of background on it. Now, 20 years later, Steve's led covert operations, special missions, and top-secret mission-critical initiatives that have kept us all safe from deadly threats and security risks at the national and international levels. Steve has earned a seat at the big boy table where security decisions and actions have consequences on our very way of life. And now Steve is the founder and president of Reticle Ventures, a security operations prime contractor and security risk management consultant firm. And from his new compound in Ontario, is it Brockville, Ontario, Steve? Yes, it is. It's hub and spoke out of Brockville. Right. And you're supporting and training special operations personnel in security solutions, best practices for security. You're also training police forces, tactical units, security teams, and you're even helping organizational leaders on how to think clearly and make critical decisions under high-stress situations. So, Steve, touch base on some of your leadership styles as the commander of JTF2, and maybe 
Help us better understand what threats we should be paying closer attention to. Well, Terry, that's a big ask. So maybe I'll just break this up into a couple of uh, chunks and we can discuss it back and forth. So I think the first piece of your question is to talk about just leadership in general. I don't think my philosophy on leadership would be much different than many others who are leaders, executive coaches. Maybe I do have a little bit of a nuanced look at some of those things. Okay. So first of all, as you set up on the front end, I think context is exceptionally important in your leader. You need to have a leader who's got a leadership style that can flex to the situation. Sometimes you need to be a bit more autocratic. Occasionally, you might need to be more democratic. But at the end of the day, the leader has got to lead the team to where it needs to get to, making sure that everybody on that team feels like they're part of the team and gets the credit for the job. Not only the leader leading, but it's generally speaking, the people that are part of that larger team that are actually delivering the success, irrespective of whether that's a military mission, if it's a business initiative, whether it's a humanitarian challenge, the leader points the team in the right direction, gives them context, and then empowers those members to get on and do the task at hand. Does that resonate with you, Terry? I'm amazed that you just said that because I've seen this as one of the biggest problems out there especially managers being promoted into more senior leadership positions, is that they tend to not see their ability to flex as a real bonus to their leadership style and to their people. They tend to get channeled in whatever style they've seen in the past. And if they ended up growing up, as probably you and I both have, having a commanding leader, well, that's the leadership style that they adopt. And they don't really change it up. When they see morale is low, They're not coming around and trying to get people back up and running and tell them that they've got their back. And when there's a great opportunity in the future, they're not adopting that visionary style that will help people to get motivated and excited about some great thing that's coming in the future. So I'm glad that you said that. Adaptable leadership style is really an important one. As you mentioned there, that's the difference between managers and leaders and managerial functions and leadership functions. At the end of the day, There are many, many great managers who are just, quite frankly, poor leaders. But there are very few great leaders who are not also great managers. So it's one is a subset of the other. They are not mutually exclusive. They should be mutually supporting. But I've seen lots of managers who are just poor, poor leaders because they either cannot give credit, cannot empower, cannot build trust, and therefore cannot build an effective team. Now, I haven't seen you in action. I guess that's because you're the commander of a very covert operation, special elite force that was jumping around the world into trouble here and trouble there and making sure that everybody was safe. Well, you protected us for the 2010 Winter Olympics here in Canada. You protected us for the G8 summit here in Canada. I mean, the amounts of stuff that you've been involved in is really something. Perhaps let's bridge here a little bit. We were going to talk about the potential threats that we really should be paying attention to and where we're being led astray. Maybe talk to us a little bit more about this, because I love your perspective here. Maybe context is important, because this is my perspective based on over 25 years now of uh, my professional career. And I think what's important is that on the one side of the spectrum, I have been involved in some various natural disasters and civil disturbances. So I've seen humanity at its most vulnerable. And then the other far end of that spectrum is truly that counterterrorism response and what we need to do when we've got humans who are willfully targeting fellow humans and how we manage that end of the spectrum. So 
my lens on what we as Canadians should be doing at the individual level to manage the real threats to us day and day is very much shaped by the humanitarian on the left and, if you will, the counterterrorism response on the right. Does that kind of context, again, Terry, make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. When I'm talking about what we as Canadians can be prepared for, I would argue that in the 21st century, there is no shortage of various threats and hazards to us in any given day. But I think at the same time, we need to keep this in balance. We have never, as a nation, lived in a more civilized and safe period of history. By and large, we go about our daily lives, we prosper, we thrive, and we raise our families, we engage with our friends, we go and do our business and work, and we are in a very, very great space. So what I would argue is the threats and hazards to those individual Canadians or individual Canadians is a lack of preparedness, whether that be, again, a natural disaster such as a flood, a earthquake, a hurricane, a tornado, a blackout, a SARS-like event from the early 2000s. Those things, again, on more of the left-hand side, I think what is very important is that an individual Canadian, you need to have three things. You need to have the resources at hand and know how to use them. You need to be trained to be able to respond appropriately. And I'm not talking weeks and months of training. I'm talking very simple days and hours of training to make sure you're using those resources correctly. And lastly, you have to have a network you can rely upon, a community network, a network of friends and family, so that when you find yourself in a bad spot, you can rapidly energize your network. That would be what I would suggest of the cyber threats against us in those pathways, terrorism, transnational crime, organized crime, state-inflicted uh, war, and all those different things. Really, for the individual Canadian, their biggest thing is to not be prepared. Because whether we like it or not, irrespective of events, for the most part, it's the person in the moment that will make the biggest difference to the survival, adaptability, and ability to thrive in the moment. It's not going to be the government the first responders are coming to your aid. There's mere minutes. And if you look at a vehicle accident, something very simple, somebody can simply bleed out within three to five minutes and perish just because another person who may have been proximate didn't know how to manage hemorrhages. Do you have any comments on that? It makes a lot of sense. And I think it's one of those things that's maybe out of sight, out of mind. Does, you know, that's kind of the way it hits me. And that's why when you see that on the television or the internet or whatever papers that are being written and distributed these days, it just seems like the sky is falling. And let me tell you, the sky is not falling. The only people that have these unfortunate, utterly individual tragic incidents is use the latest attack in Toronto with the van, for example. Right, down the street on Young, yeah. Absolutely. Individually tragic in every sense of the word. Destroys individuals, destroys individual families. Some of those people who had unfortunately passed away, who were mere minutes away on Young Street from some of the best medical care in this country, could have had their chance to survive a little bit of improved if some of the local bystanders could have helped them immediately in the moment with, again, arterial bleeding or just doing the right things to try and preserve life until the appropriate medical authority can get there. And what we generally call that is platinum 10 minutes or the golden hour in the military. If you can get people with grievous injuries to the right medical professional within that platinum 10 minutes or golden hour, then their chances for recovery significantly improve. Probably one of the next steps out there is start looking around for a great place where you can start ramping your skills up 
and being prepared just a little bit more, right? Absolutely. That could be a, a local first aid course, a medical course, whatever that might be, your local colleges and some universities. They all have courses on what you can do for a little bit of preparation and planning because it's not the planning that the value is in, quite honestly. The value in planning is having thought through the situation before you find yourself in it. Right. Because you can never plan forever eventuality. All the planning allows you to do is in a time of calm, think through what you might do so that when the crisis arrives, you're not trying to panic in the moment. Quite frankly, in the moment, if you're panicking, you're not actually helping anybody. And you could be putting yourself in greater danger. Okay, so let me move this scale up a little bit higher now. Let's say I'm a leader within an organization. Am I misassessing the threats out there? And if so, what is it that I should be focused on a little bit more? And what can I do for that? Well, I come back to the leadership fundamentals we talked about on the top of the show. What's important is that the leader of any organization understands the context that they're operating in, that operational environment. And are there threats? Are there cyber pathways that we should be looking at and closing down? Are there regularly trafficked routes that just don't make any sense because either it's a roadblock or it's somewhere that a terrorist may wish to attack to make a splash? Is there something with your building? where it's just not environmentally safe. A legacy thing like asbestos could be anything from fire control or fire evacuation. The leader has an obligation to lead their team and make sure they're set up for success, irrespective of the situation they find themselves in. So the leader should sit back, look what's going on around them, empower those employees to make change or their teammates to make change where appropriate, and set those conditions for success so, so that, heaven forbid there be an event, People have already thought through what they may want to do. This could be what we hear often again, active shooter, bomb threats, those type of things. It doesn't take long to have a lunch and learn an hour to talk about what we might do in that crisis. One of the things that always strikes me, Steve, you always ask people, well, how are you doing? The answer that I usually get back from people is, I'm so busy. It starts telling me that those people are very reactive If that's the case, what we need to do is make sure that they've got time to actually sit back and be thinking ahead, to be more proactive, to be anticipating more. And that's what you're talking about too, is it not? Absolutely. And leaders, there's no shortage of pressures today, whether it be on the family side, on the wider friends side, on the professional side. There's no shortage of time vampires out there. There's only 24 hours in any given day. You can't, as a leader, carve out about an hour to an hour and a half to just sit back and think about things that are important to you, could be important to your team, then you're exactly right, Terry. You're living in the moment, which means you're not prepared for the next opportunity or the next crisis, quite honestly. This is a bit of a foreign concept to a lot of people that are really used to getting their promotion and rising up the corporate ladder because they were keeping themselves super busy and getting a lot done. Then they get into a leadership position, and part of their responsibility is that anticipation and keeping things safe, setting the stage for other people to be successful. So I love what you said about anticipating, thinking things through, thinking about the safety of the team, thinking about what opportunities they've got coming. It all makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. Well, and also just keeping things in context, because in any given day, something may seem urgent, but is it actually important? Just you got to ask those questions in context. Is this something I need to deal with now or can I spend a bit of time thinking about it? So maybe just to summarize, Terry, I think what I've learned over my career from those inspiring leaders are those people that always understand the context that we're living within. 
They have the ability to visualize a way forward and articulate that down into their team and across their teams and those other people that enable their team. They are generally speaking, technically sound within their profession so that when somebody comes up with a good idea, they can already understand that the solution is either going to work or not going to work in the space. They have the ability to plan two layers down into their organization because they're technically sound, but generally only task one level down. And that way you don't overload your subordinate leaders by overtasking them with things they just don't have the resources to accomplish. And then lastly, what I've always seen is trust but verify. There's nothing wrong with trusting your teams to get on with it, but you as the leader are ultimately accountable and responsible. Therefore, you need to verify that your intent, your direction is actually being carried out in a manner that makes sense and is context-specific and going to work for your organization. Steve, that is absolutely amazing. It's no wonder that Reticle Ventures, your security operations outfit, it's no wonder that the phone's been ringing off the hook and that you guys are busy like crazy down there. Training tactical and security teams but also the organizational leaders that are visiting you to get better prepared for critical decisions when the stakes are high and, and stress is high. So I'm glad that you've taken this time today to help us understand things a little bit more. Listen, I've got a couple more questions for you before we let you go, though. The first one is, I'm wondering, what do you see some of the biggest challenges for leaders out there today? As I said earlier, the biggest challenges, I think, for leaders in the 21st century is the pace of change. As I said earlier, be technically competent in your field. Well, in some cases, technology is moving forward so fast that it's hard for those leaders to keep up with some of their subordinates who may be more technologically savvy. That leader take the time to try and understand technology as best they can, try and understand the tools so that they're not caught out by that. And secondly, I think physical fitness is critical you got to take time to take care of yourself because it is a sad day when the mind and spirit is willing, but the body is just physically not capable. So what we can do for physical fitness for leaders to keep them moving so that they're always able to log through the long hours that are often required means your level of physical fitness needs to be above average. I'm not talking Olympian levels of physical fitness. I mean, just being in a good state of physical fitness. No, oh, I love that. Love that. Now, here's my last question for you, Steve. What does inspired leadership mean to you? Inspired leadership are those magnanimous leaders, those folks that can stand up, articulate why it is that we've got to do what we've been asked or charged with doing, and then bringing that team together with one common purpose and delivering excellence on that one common purpose. And I've seen many examples throughout my professional career of, of truly inspiring leaders. But like I said before, I've seen many examples of very poor leadership. And for the most part, the poor leaders were ones who were more self-centered, and the inspiring leaders were those that were magnanimous in victory, able to drive on and move forward and, and bring the team with them and give credit to the people on that team that are actually delivering the results. It's so good for me to see what it is that you're doing to move most leaders into the second category that you just described. Love it. Listen, thank you so much for your time and your perspectives today. This is important stuff. And I think that we all need this wake-up call to shake us into action so that we're all better prepared. One thing I know is that people are going to want to reach out and connect with you. So, Steve, I've taken the liberty of adding all of your contact details into the show notes. 
your profile on LinkedIn, the reticle.ca website. It's an honor to be speaking with you and a privilege to have it share 20 minutes or 30 minutes with your listeners. And I wish everyone success in whatever their endeavors may be. Thank you so much for keeping us all a lot safer in Canada, the U.S., and elsewhere. I also want to take another second and thank our new sponsor, Daylight, for coming on board and supporting this show. Folks, if you are that small business out there like I am, sign up for your Daylight trial today at marketcircle.com. This is more than CRM. This is business management software for anybody that wants to grow their business on a Mac, iPhone, and or iPad. It's CRM tracks all of your leads, projects, customers, and emails all in one place and integrates with all of your favorite apps with its API and Zapier integration. Great software from a great company, Market Circle. Definitely want to support those who are supporting us. That's another Inspiring Leaders episode in the can. Thank you for all of your time and attention, folks. We hope that you like what you're hearing on the show. And we want to encourage you to leave us a rating on iTunes so we can rank higher and we can keep getting fantastic guests like Steve Day. Your ratings and feedback are gold to us. So please take a few minutes, hit those stars, and help us out. Join us here again next week when we are joined by North America's networking guru. Michael Hughes is going to join us to find out why networking is so important and how you can become far better at making quality connections. That's next week on the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. Thanks again, everybody. Take care and bye for now.